I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today, if you're involved in sports on the collegiate level, will know Tim Pernetti, a Rutgers graduate who came back as athletic director, helped nurture his relationship with Jim Delaney, also a Jersey native, to help Rutgers become part of the Big Ten and expand the Big Ten's footprint. When Manchester City was looking to establish a flag in New York City, Randy Levine, the president of the New York Yankees, suggested Tim Pernetti to Ferran Soriano, the CEO of Man City. Tim put together a sellout crowd for the first match, was recruited to IMG to help monetize their college business through acquiring media rights, naming rights, and sponsorship with a variety of colleges most recently promoted to the president of IMG Academy, the world's leading producer of college athletes across football, basketball, baseball, lacrosse, golf, and tennis. Our guest, Tim Pernetti. Welcome, friends. We have a, a unique leader, diverse background, been in the media, college sports, professional sports, Tim Pernetti. A Jersey native like myself, star of his basketball, uh, his high school basketball and football team going on to Rutgers. Talk about how you got involved in sports and how you ended up at Rutgers. Well, you know, much like thanks for having me, first of all, Jed, and much like you, you know, or any any young kid in New Jersey during those years, sports was sort of just a huge part of the fabric of my of my life. And you know, my my dad especially loved sports, and he always gave great advice, which was you know, play sports if you want to, and make sure you play more than one. And if there's something you play that you don't love, then you know don't waste your time doing it. Always always find something you're passionate about. So I played everything growing up, as I'm sure you you did. And I was a tall kid. I think I hit six five, which I currently am, in eighth grade when I was 13, and I never really grew again. So basketball was a natural and, and football was always something that I loved to play. And as I got into high school, you know, basketball was always more fun and football was always more serious. But football gave me the opportunity to get a scholarship to, to play in college and had a variety of really great opportunities at different schools. And my dad passed away when I was 13. It was tough on us as a family, but we were a very tight knit Italian family from North Jersey. And I made a decision to play at Rutgers. And a big part of it was I loved the staff. Rutgers was coming a little bit. A lot of kids from New Jersey that I knew and played with and played against were going. So we all decided to, to make the leap. And selfishly for me, it kept my family close. They got to see a lot more games over a four-year period. But Rutgers was a great experience. You know, I graduated in, in four years, uh, did a master's in communications while I was playing my fifth year of football, met my wife, Danielle, there, who played on the lacrosse team, you know, just had a, a – more of an experience I think than most college students have 
and I really got a lot out of it. So, and I'm, I've always been grateful for the opportunity to, you know, to have that experience. And then you get into the media. Talk about the different moves that happen within the media because you're in it and move for different companies. You're an analyst, a football analyst for Rutgers. So talk a little bit about the media experience and what you learned there. It's been an awesome ride, you know, for me. I remember standing in a huddle my last game of my senior year against Syracuse in Giant Stadium, and it was a TV timeout. And this is like before coaches were smart enough to bring the entire team over to the sideline. They just used to bring the quarterback over. And I remember standing in the huddle thinking, TV timeouts as a player, they just felt like forever. And just being curious about what went on behind the scenes during this three-minute period of time. And immediately to me, it occurred, like, that was sort of the moment where I was like, I really want to be in this business and learn more about it. So I, like most most young people, fished out, you know, a lot of, of phone calls, and there was no email then. I'm really dating myself. But uh, this guy named Armin Katayan, who many people in the sports business know, who spoke at a class that I was actually assisting in teaching when I was a graduate student. And he spoke, and I met him, and we had lunch together, and he gave me his business card and, you know, suggested that I could call him if I ever needed any help. So I called him after my senior season. He introduced me around at ABC News to start. I had some interviews there, which were really a disaster because they weren't interested in me and I wasn't really sure I knew what the hell was going on in news. But they introduced me to some folks upstairs at ABC Sports and honestly, right place, right time. They were looking for someone entry level to help work with their new partner at the time, which was AOL, when AOL was a captive service to help figure out how to program sports content on their service. I don't think I even asked what the salary was. Like they offered me the job, I said yes. And I realized a couple hours later, I didn't even know what I was getting paid. But that's how I broke in at ABC Sports. I had a bunch of fun jobs there. It started with figuring out a way to program the online space. And we televised the Super Bowl, the World Series, the Stanley Cup, the Triple Crown that year. And it occurred to me that we could program online in conjunction with what was going on on TV and sort of two screen programming was kind of born there. The best part of my experience at ABC Sports was I was surrounded by just all these great people, young executives and, and some names you'll probably know, you know, David Downs, who went on to run Univision for a while, John Littner, who runs the Yes Network, Lydia Steffens, who ran Oxygen and Pac-12 Networks, Tony Petiti, who's now at Activision. Like I was surrounded by all of these people, Howard Katz, who's sort of a legend in the in the sports TV production and programming business. And I got exposure to all these people between the ages of 23 and 26. And I gravitated towards the deal-making side. Those guys taught me the business. And I ended up in sort of the college space on the deal-making side and was there at a great time. Like Tony Petiti created the BCS. And we were there when all that unfolded and how we arguably made the regular season more important, but screwed up the postseason a little bit. It was just great learning all around. But from there, I had a close friend named Chris Bevilacqua who was convinced that college sports fans would watch wrestling as much as they would watch football. And he launched a network called CSTV. And uh, I told Chris if he could find the funding for it, which I was not sure he would, I would jump and be the deal-making guy and acquire all the rights. So I jumped to CSTV. We launched it. We really didn't have a plan. We figured it out as we went. And years later, got it into 25 million homes and sold it to CBS for you know, quite a bit of money. It's the CBS Sports Network now. And uh, then I took a left turn and ended up athletic director back at my alma mater, which I could go in a variety of directions with that story. Yeah, no. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Bevel Lockwood was a wrestler at Penn State. So that was his uh, passion, his sports, just like yours was football. So Yeah. 
Yeah, it, and Chris was right. You know, the thing about CSTV that was so remarkable about the model, we knew that we were going to launch a startup network. It was going to be probably one of the last linear networks. But we did know that college sports fans are passionate about their school. And whether it's Ohio State, Michigan, on the gridiron, on the ice, on the basketball court, or on the mat, it was going to be important to people. And we kind of played to the passion people have for their schools to drive distribution. You know, like live events drove distribution. And wrestling was one of the first things we did. And then it became hockey and lacrosse and baseball. And suddenly all these underserved sports started to be served. The day, Jed, that ESPN announced they were launching a college network called ESPNU, which was a year after we launched CSTV, we knew that our business was immediately validated. But it was a, a fun exercise and kind of making it up as you go. Well, you know, the interesting thing, you, you talk about Rutgers, uh, and I, to me, your big accomplishment is the relationship you built, built with another Jersey guy, Jim Delaney, helping Rutgers get into the Big Ten. I mean, people, they want to talk about other incidents. I want to talk about how you were able to get Rutgers into the Big Ten, which is obviously was in, in Jim's vision, the growing up in Jersey, connecting uh, the Big Ten to the East Coast and the television network and market was really important. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, being a college athletic director is a hard job. And I really felt from dealing with ADs on the media side for years that I had my eyes wide open going into the job. And it was a place that I knew, you know, that I, that I was a student. I was an athlete there. I grew up there. I stayed connected there. A lot of it, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into until you're there. But I think the main reason I might have been attractive as a candidate was because of my media background, knowing that expansion was going to be driven by media contracts. And the vision there to be in a different league, I don't think it had been fully developed. I think they felt like winning more football games or basketball games was the ticket out of the league. But to me, it was very clear. Like New York was a desirable market. Conferences were going to expand. They had to drive more media value into their leagues to pay the existing schools as much or more and be able to pay for new schools to come in. So, you know, Jim was actually someone I met early on in my media career, established a relationship with him. And I used to bust on him all the time, way before Rutgers, about when are you going to add Rutgers to the league? And he used to laugh at me and say it had less than a 5% chance. And I would joke and say, well, that's not a 0% chance. But when I got to Rutgers, he actually was a reference. The president of the university called him to talk about me. And I remember he spoke to me after I got hired. And I again asked him about it. And it kind of became a four-year quest where we got vetted the first time around uh, when a lot of other schools did and Nebraska was chosen. And we just stayed in contact. Like Jim, it was kind of a joke. We had kind of a standing call every week on a certain day. He was always on the treadmill in Chicago at home. And I was on the East Coast. And some weeks we talked about nothing, just what was going on in the industry. And then no. certain times we talked about what this could look like. But you know, I, I told Jim that I felt strongly that they would not capture New York for the Big Ten Network, which was worth half a billion dollars a year in subscription revenue if they didn't have a team in the market. Yeah. And that really was what drove the deal. And I really was grateful for all my experience in media and being around all of those great executives at a young age to be able to figure out you know, a way to get it done. But you know how this goes, Jed, in this business. Like my relationship with Jim that pre-existed these discussions yes. really was the ace in the hole because we didn't have to get to know each other. We already knew each other, trusted each other. We were talking off the same script and over a period of four years figured out a way uh, to make it happen. It, it, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, but one of the most validating things, you know, professionally, I feel like I've ever accomplished. No question. Now, the other piece, uh, you got into a, 
dispute over your basketball coach. You know, yeah. one that, um, you know, obviously made the news, but ones that I think people would look at and, you know, defend what you did and, you know, sometimes wonder why the president wasn't behind you. So, I mean, how would you characterize if you had to do it all over again, how you'd handle it? Yeah, listen, I, I think that I reflect on that a lot and I've never really talked about it publicly. And honestly, it's almost 10 years, you know, since I've been there. What was really strange was I remember standing at the podium with Delaney on November 20th of that year of 2012, announcing the Big Ten. And then three days later, sitting in an office with the general counsel, deputy AD, CFO, and a former employee and their lawyer looking at this tape of Mike Rice. And I think the only lesson that can be learned, and I remember telling my kids this at the time, was I knew exactly what we had to do. I recommended what we should do. And there was this whole process that needed to unfold. And honestly, like, I really should have probably left the meeting and driven to the coach and, and let him go and right. dealt with the fallout, which I really didn't think was going to be complicated. But I guess the lesson is, and I tell this to my kids all the time, like, trust your gut. It never fails you. But you got to remember, too, I was a, I was a, a product of that university. And when I went back there, I made a commitment to do everything the right way and do it by the book. I think in this case, running through the process was what veered the entire thing off track. And look, in the end, you know, at universities, you know, it's better than anybody. Decisions are not made by one individual at universities. Yeah. You got presidents, you got boards, you got other people. But when decisions go bad, people have a tendency to, you know, head for cover. I mean, look, I was involved in the decision. While I knew and recommended what we should do, it didn't play out that way. But I stepped out and held myself accountable, at least for my role in it. What really surprised me was that no one else did. But look, at the end of the day, my career from that point, accomplishing the Big Ten thing was what I set out to do. And I feel like despite what happened, I left it in a better place. And I hope the place reaps the benefits of it for, you know, forever. But my career since then has been, you know, another series of exciting moves and starts and stops. In a lot of ways, I feel like the whole thing might have happened for a reason. Yeah, which happens. I mean, I got fired twice in a year, so I can I can relate okay. to it. But so this past uh, weekend, one of your former teams was playing in a huge soccer game. They, they were they were playing against Chelsea, Man yep. City, who you worked for uh, initially when Ferran launched uh, his team in New York. You you became their chief business officer. So yep. talk about what it was like being connected. Now, you came from college athletics, but here you are now in professional sports. Uh, the Premier League now has Manchester City, which is beginning to sprout its wings, being able to populate other areas of the world with soccer teams to help their brand. Talk about what that was like. Yeah, it was, it was a weird time, you know, because at the end of the Rutgers thing, you know, ducking and dodging the media was the hardest part, like, you know, sneaking through my neighborhood in the back door, staying away from the I had a whole media circus on my street and avoiding the perp walk was a, a sport in itself. You know, but when it was over, I had a lot of, of thinking to do. And believe it or not, I had some opportunities come my way quickly, mainly, I think, because I handled the exit appropriately. And it got to the point where I was trying to figure out I need some time to like decompress out of this thing, but also I don't want to spend too much time not doing something. So that summer, as I started to meet people, I remember having lunch with Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, and they were always great friends to, to me at Rutgers. And he mentioned the launch of the soccer club. 
and and Lon Trost and I talked about it. He mentioned it, and and they said, you know, our partners are are from City Football. They're in the UK. We need someone who understands this market because you know whether they like it or not, in this market, soccer is going to be the last most important pro sport in New York. So you know, my reaction was, well, I never even played this sport, but they had Claudio Reyna, you know, four-time captain of the national team, a sporting director, and I figured, well, if we got him. All I got to do is run the business side. So I took a flyer on it. And I also thought, when am I going to get a chance to launch a pro sports franchise in this market? Like that, that chance comes along one time. So I jumped into it. Um, it was really just me and Claudio to start. We built out the organization. Uh, I got to know the guys at City and got to know Ferran and got to know um, Haldun and the folks, you know, in the ownership. And what blew me away, Jed, was I had never been to a soccer match outside the U.S., when I went over to City, and I remember going to a, a game and just being blown away by the scale, and then going to a Champions League game which against Barcelona, which was like the Super Bowl on a Tuesday night, like it, the scale really blew me away. The challenge in launching New York was tough because you have to make people care about the sport. You have to engage them. Like we did a contest to let New York fans design the badge, and we kind of took all these ideas and and put together a badge that was representative of the team. And then we had people vote. And in the meantime, we were collecting tens of thousands of names and email addresses to sell season tickets. And even then we felt like, will people buy? And we find out through the Yankees that Mariano Rivera is a huge soccer fan. And we convinced Mariano to be the first season ticket holder. And he does a press conference where all the media in New York came to hear him talk. And he held up a big happy Gilmore ticket and announced why soccer was important and why he was going to be part of it. And we were off to the races. So it was really an incredible experience to build it from the ground up and sell out Yankee Stadium for the opener. Like it really it was really eye opening. And just again, for me, my career has been a series of left turns. And that was one in particular that was while it was nerve wracking because it was an unknown space for me. I really I felt like I was a new employee right out of college. Like I really learned a lot about how to do some things that I never really experienced before. Then you get recruited back to college working for IMG College. People may not know exactly what IMG is. Uh, obviously, you're in a new role now. But explain a little bit of the scope of IMG Endeavor and what that you know, that whole parent company looks like, especially now that you've gone public. Sure. So in, in 2014, when IMG was acquired by you know, then WME, William Morris Endeavor, uh, I remember hearing about it and following it. But we were so knee deep and we were three months away from launching this team. I didn't pay it a whole lot of mind. But the IMG college business goes back to a company called ISP Sports, which basically universities are hiring third parties to represent them in the commercial space. So Rutgers University would essentially sell all of its commercial rights exclusively to an IMG college. And in exchange, IMG college would guarantee them a certain amount of money based on what those rights would generate in the market and then take on all the costs and then work to generate more revenue to profit. Sponsorship, marketing, intellectual property licensing, stadium seating, ticketing, naming rights, anything with a commercial attachment, these companies do. IMG College, Learfield, Fox is in the business, uh, Outfront and CBS were in the business, like a lot of it has been consolidated. So when IMG was acquired, I remember talking to Chris Bevilacqua, again, about the transaction. And he had a connection and he said, they're, they're looking for someone to run college. I'm going to connect you to some folks, Patrick Weitzel, Jason Loveland, the CFO. And I got connected. And the timing was weird because we were just launching the soccer club. 
Yes. And I was riding high. They wanted me to stay. I was really excited to stay. But college just always sort of tugged me back for some reason. And honestly, Jed, on the media side, athletic director, I, this is the only side of the business I hadn't seen it from. So I met those guys and, and interviewed, and, and it was clear they were looking for someone that spoke the language of athletic directors, but also understood the commercial business. And I had that experience. So when it played out and they offered me the opportunity, I jumped at it, not only because of that, but the company, you know, IMG, WME, Endeavor, it's a big global sports and entertainment company. Like I figured I could go there and do this job. And if I kick some ass and do a great job, there probably would be a lot of other leadership opportunities of other businesses within the portfolio of the company because there's 8,000 people in the company, but it runs like a startup. Like there's always something happening. So the college business was great. You know, we, I was, I was back in the room with athletic directors that were my colleagues. There was no get to know you period. We were able to figure out a way to get deals done. We grew the business. And part of it was by integrating the agency, you know, and bringing, we brought bad Brad Paisley and did concerts. Like we plugged in the agency in a lot of ways to add value to the deals. And we grew the bottom line, you know, relatively significantly up to the point where you know, we ended up uh, in a merger with Learfield. And now the company's called Learfield IMG College. But it's a pretty vibrant space. I think the model is challenging, you know, with guaranteed rights fees. Universities, you know, it's pivoting because universities are not just going to create physical unlimited amounts of inventory. You know, they need to think different about the business, make it more of a digital business. But uh, there is quite a bit of, of, you know, revenue and business flowing through that space. As you mentioned, uh, Endeavor is a huge company, IMG. Uh, most recently, you got promoted into probably the most exclusive high school position uh, in the United States. Uh, you run IMG, uh, the whole academy, which for our audience produces more athletes for college and professional sports whether it be football, basketball, tennis, golf, lacrosse, than any other place uh, in the United States. And you sit on top of that. Uh, talk about IMG Academy, what that mission is. Well, I had, I had my son went there for five years, so obviously I have a point of view and anxious to hear what your vision is as you look to take on this new role. Yeah, this has been, you know, again, I would call this one another left turn, but, you know, what I, what I love about Endeavor is you know, number one is the company has great leadership and, you know, all the way down the line from Ari and Patrick to Mark Shapiro to Jason Loveland to Sam Zussman, like there's a lot of great leadership here and they've always been willing to take risks even with established businesses. The Academy is something that has been a, a very successful business for the company, you know, for a long time and just a really special and unique place. So when I came here, I started spending more time here after we merged the college businesses and I was overseeing some, you know, events and media businesses for, for Endeavor. And I immediately felt magnetic to me. Like it was an environment I was kind of used to. It felt a little bit like college, but it also didn't have some of the challenges of college with fundraising and boards and a lot of other stuff. I've spent eight months here on the ground and really been still to this point doing quite a bit of learning. Um, it's a massive operation. It's hugely challenging it never stops, you know, as you know, from your son being here, we have a, a fully integrated prep school with 1200 student athletes. Now uh, we actually had more enrollment post COVID than we had prior to COVID because we created a really good, strong COVID protocol, which was challenging to, 
you know, look down the face of sometimes because we want to entertain everybody. But, you know, Johns Hopkins is our medical partner here. We developed a great protocol. We kept the campus safe. We convinced the WNBA to do their season here. And once we did that, the prep school, you know, the, the demand was back. Like we actually had to turn, you know, some folks away just to keep the protocol in play. Uh, and then camps, you know, I mean, camps, we actually quietly ran some camps last summer as, as Florida was spiking during COVID, but we managed it. Um, this summer, we're, we're sort of back to full capacity in camps. And we also have professional athletes. Uh, we had four MLS teams come on campus and train. We're in the mix right now to potentially bring the Rugby 10s, you know, on campus later in the year. And naturally, we're working across Endeavor, too, where there are professional athletes we represent looking for places to train and rehab and, and you know, maybe quietly sort of do strength and conditioning. It's a really dynamic place. The vision going forward is growth inside the walls, which is sort of like, how do we maximize the sports we have here and also think about what the new frontier looks like and how do we grow the enrollment in the prep school? And then what does the camp and event offering look like? Like there's just quite a bit there for the taking. And then, you know, outside the four walls of the Academy, there's a lot of product. Your son knows this. There's a lot of product we deliver here. That's not just sports and school. Like there's nutrition, there's mental and mindset conditioning. You know, there's the strength and conditioning, there's speed, there's leadership, there's life skills. How do we package some of that stuff up and move it outside the wall so we create a broader IMG Academy community all over the world? Like there's there's so much stuff on the list here, Jed, that we could attack, but it really is a dynamic place. And honestly, I think, honestly, we're the only prep school in America didn't close the doors for some period of time during COVID, which everybody is extremely proud of here. Well, you think about the football players, the basketball players that you've had go on uh, from the school. I mean, when my son was going there, we had four or five football players. They came over every Saturday to eat. You know, uh, last year it was Cesar Ruiz who got drafted in the first round. Uh, Rob Hainsey this year, the two-year captain at Notre Dame, the quarterback at Texas A&M. It was mind-boggling, the quality of the athletes that came in. And I, I think, you know, one of the challenges being a parent, you know, is that my son was on the national team uh, mm -hmm. for basketball. However, you know, the, the coaching and the attention, uh, as you mentioned, varies. I, I think you've got, you know, people in the different sports that have different levels of commitment and how the coaches handle their specific teams and how accountability is handled, I think is one of the things that you, being a sports athletic director, brings to the role that hasn't been there in the past. You know, you have an understanding of that coach-athlete responsibility which I think when you're paying the amount of money you pay to go to IMG uh, is, is really important. I couldn't agree more with that. You know, and, and to me, taking me back to the Rutgers days, I remember one of my first days I was meeting with coaches and our wrestling coach, Scott Goodale, who's still there doing a great job, said to me, you know, we're, I said, what can I do for you? And he said, well, some more funding and scholarships would be great. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, well, the NCAA would permit 9.9 .9 scholarships for wrestling. And right now we're at 5.2. And I remember saying to myself, I'm just going to tell Scott Cadell he's got all of his scholarships. And I did. I said, you have a, he goes, well, how are you going to do that? I said, it's not your problem to understand that. And I remember saying to the board a couple of weeks later, we were doing this. And as I was getting beat up, I said, guys, if we're going to have wrestling, we have to make it a level playing field with everybody we're competing against. If we're going to have one foot in this thing, let's just not do it we're creating a bad experience here 
What I'm going to try to do, and I've looked at everything, is this is a place that is a well-oiled machine, but we want to make sure that we're providing proper resources around all the sports, all the school, all the athlete personal development, nutrition, what we're serving them at the, you know, at the servery and the dining halls, what the activities are. We have to make sure that we're resourcing the place at a proper level across the board. No matter at what level kids compete or where they compete academically, it shouldn't matter. The resources need to be, you know, at the top level in everything we do. And that's really what I'm sorting through. I just want to make sure that our people here have the resources they need to provide a great experience. Because like you said, the experience, it's it's an investment. So you want the experience to be a good investment for people because, you know, retention is important. Word of mouth is important. And experience, you know, makes the world go around. Like it's got to be constantly in focus. Every decision we make, I remind people, when you decide, make sure you're thinking about the product and the experience, because if we're thinking about that, can't make the wrong decision. IMG Endeavor, they're fortunate to have you in this role, because when you look at when you look at what you bring, you could be at a lot of different places, but you're at this specific institute, and your skill sets is meant uh, to be able to teach the people underneath you, you know, what it's like to really give customer service. And yeah. develop the student, the student athlete. Well, I appreciate that. You know, and, and honestly, going back to saying about the company, like the reason I dig this company is because I'm thought of for for challenging and 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 big opportunities like this. And honestly, like when I came, I dropped something. I was building a franchise in New York. When I left that behind for IMG, it was a difficult decision for me. But I expected to be running that college business for a long time. And when the opportunity presented itself to move the business, which made all the sense in the world, like everybody supported it, suddenly I was like, okay, now what? But very quickly, they put that to rest by giving me a portfolio of events and media properties in North America. And then the IMG Academy thing popped up. I just, I feel some days I pinch myself, I feel valued, but I also feel like my career has given me a lot of really diverse experiences from a lot of unique angles to be able to attack a lot of these things maybe differently than they have been before. So, you know, long story short, I feel very lucky um, to be part of it. This is, I've never had a job that's been dull and not been fun, but certainly this one is, it will be one of the more challenging ones, especially in this climate. And listen, we've, we've thrived during COVID, but COVID is going to end. And then we'll be up against a whole different set of challenges, but challenges are what makes this stuff fun. Like if it's just the same old, same old, it's not interesting. Do you th think the name, image, and likeness is going to affect uh, your athletes at all? I think so. You know, you mentioned your son, as you know, he played on the national team. And, and for, for those of you that don't know what that is, like sort of the, the best players we have in, in basketball and football and baseball, too. You know, seven former IMG Academy alum get drafted in the NFL draft this year. Uh, we're expecting some in the, in the MLB draft here in a couple of weeks. Right. You know, within all of that stuff, you're definitely going to have some kids who are going to be affected by this. You know, that probably like some of our, our high profile student athletes here have massive social media followings and could easily monetize you know, that opportunity. But what we're going to do too here is like we do with everything else is we're going to provide education around how to approach that because for kids, it can't just be about making money. It has to be about building your brand about how the wrong tweet or the wrong comment could cost you a lot more than just some short term damage. So we want to make sure we're providing services and advisory to help student athletes understand what's out in front of them. Because, you know, this whole thing is a freight train that's not going to stop. 
I don't see anybody really taking a leadership position at an administrative level in college. And every company that has launched to take advantage of it is more on the transactional side, but there needs to be some education around it for it to really help student athletes be teed up no matter what level they are uh, to be able to activate against it and do it in the right way. Do you see any other trends as it relates to the student athlete and college that you, know, that you see you know, three to five years out? I think this debate about should student athletes be paid is never going to go away. And it's funny, Jed, you mentioned the Big Ten. I remember when I was doing a couple of interviews after we announced that deal, I was on Becky Quick on, on Squawk Box, who's a Rutgers alum, had me on, and we talked about the deal. And one of the guys, I think it was Kernan, asked me about paying student athletes. Like, don't you feel like you're taking advantage of them, not paying them? And I said, listen, I was an above average college player that got a full ride and I got two degrees and I felt like I got a lot from the school and I took a lot out of it in exchange. And my commitment was to play football, to work hard in school. Like I knew what the exchange of value was. I said, but unfortunately today, I think nobody's really talking about what student athletes get. They're talking about what they don't get. And I'm not saying I don't think there should be some compensation. I just think it should be done responsibly. Like, for instance, all these revenue lines that generate millions of dollars, percentages of some of these revenues probably should be put aside and put in escrow accounts and provided as sort of a postgraduate scholarship for every student athlete that competes in every sport, no matter what level they are, whether they start or never play. That's probably the right way to do it. And also, it keeps the mission and emphasis. The mission is graduation. Well, what about the guy that leaves early for the NFL? He doesn't need the $15,000 to get his life started. But kids should have to graduate because their commitment is to compete, do well in school, and graduate in exchange for essentially a scholarship experience. But should they get a piece of the action after they've fulfilled their obligation? I've always felt strongly that they should. Fair enough. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and visiting with our guests today. And, uh, Anxious to get out on the golf course with you again when I get back to Florida. I'm up here in the uh, trees of Pennsylvania, as you can see in the background here. I see that. Well, now that the weather's warmed up, you've headed north. But I mean, listen, I got, I'm holding a tea time for you whenever you're back in town. So you let me know. I will do that. Well, thanks again. Thanks for being with us. All right, Jed. Thanks for having me.